way that you get all the glory and all the honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are in Psalm 19. It's January 7th. You've had a, a full week to live out your new plan for 2024. Um, how's it going? Or maybe you took this week to make a plan. Or maybe you're one of those people that don't make plans like that. You're like, every year it's just kind of just keep doing the same thing. And maybe 2023's plan was so good you just rolled it over and, and doubled down on it. But usually for believers... There is a new or renewed focus, attention given to how do I want to spend time in the Bible uh, this year? What is that going to look like? Uh, read the Bible in a year is often attempted, sometimes successfully, often not, once you get to Leviticus. But it's not a bad idea. That might work for you in this season of life and with your personality. I think it's a, a fruitful thing for every believer at some point in their life to read through the entire Bible, especially because it's so accessible to us. All kinds of translations in languages we understand with audio Bibles set to music. Even you can get celebrities to read the Bible to you. Uh, there's really no excuse about accessibility that we can come up with to not engage with the Bible. And so it's a fruitful endeavor at some point in your life, whether you do it in a year or whether it takes your entire life to eventually read the entire Bible through. Uh, the plans can vary. I don't think there's a bad plan to read, study, memorize, meditate on, and seek to engage God in His Word. A chapter a day, a verse a day, a book a day. I've done everything from yearly plans to 90-day plans, chronological genres, four books at a time, five days a week, seven days a week. Uh, doing them alone, yes, that's part of it, but even better, doing them with others. So create a community of uh, Bible reading, DNA groups, you know, how do we want to engage with God's Word as a DNA group this, this year or a missional community? Uh, whatever works for where you are this year, all of them are fine and good because all of them involve you and I engaging with God and His Word. What if your motivations are wrong? Well, that's going to happen. Like, your motivations may be wrong for why you came here today, but you're here. You're in this space where the Word and the Spirit can work. And so it's the same. Your motivations may not be all good when you open your Bible in the morning, but you're there in the presence of God with the Word of God for the Spirit of God to do work. And God will work through those motivations to get you to a good place. Um, obviously, we don't want check-the-box legalistic rule following. We want it to be driven by the good work of the gospel that God's already done in us because we have a relationship with Him as Father and as our friend. Um, but engaging with, God engaging with God in His Word is so essential to who we are as believers. We, as the crossing, begin every single year, our first Sunday in January, with a sermon on that topic. How are you engaging with God through His Word? And then the second Sunday, we spend time talking about prayer. How are we spending time with our Father in prayer uh, in our life? And why do we do that? And what's the, the reasons for that? So how are we engaging with God and His Word? We, to do that this year, we want to look at one of the more well-known passages about the Word of God, Psalm 19, and we'll begin in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. 
nothing is hidden from its heat. We see in these first six verses that God has communicated to us through creation. So what is the message God's delivered to us through creation? It's a message we see there of his glory. It's a message that he is real. He exists. There is a creator behind the creation. It tells us in that passage, creation is the work of his hands. He was intentional and engaged in creation, pitching a tent for the sun. This echoes the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. God spoke and everything came into existence from nothing. Something only a powerful agent of creation could accomplish. Something we, not true creators, can't do. We create, but we have to start with something already created. We can't start from nothing because we're not God. Only God can start from nothing and create everything. We see other aspects of God's character and nature in creation. In the book of Job, one of the oldest stories in the Bible, we have a man, Job, who has suffered greatly. Unknown to him, he's being tested by God, tried by Satan to determine if the only reason he served and worshiped God was because God protected and blessed him. And so one day, Job loses everything. Everything he owned was stolen or destroyed. All of his riches, his land, his crops, his animals, even his seven children died in one day. All he was left with was his wife and his own life. And Job's response was lament and worship. That's the first two chapters. At the end of the second chapter, Job's friends show up and they spend seven days lamenting with him and then they open their mouths and for the next 32 chapters, it's them and Job having this conversation. Job, surely you've done something sinful. You're hiding for all these bad things to happen to you. And Job constantly saying, I promise, I have nothing to hide. I'm innocent of this. Job insisting that. Eventually, Job cries out to the silence of God so much that God shows up in chapter 38 and speaks. And what God says speaks to his glory and power and wisdom revealed in creation. For instance, verses 4 through 11. Where were you, Job, when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Who's, what supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no further, your proud waves stop here. This is beautiful, incredible four chapters, 38 through 41. God walking Job through all of creation, the sea, the land, the stars, a variety of animals, uh, goats, deer, donkey, wild ox, ostrich, horse, hawk, eagle, some mysterious creatures, the behemoth and leviathan. And in all of creation and even creatures, God reveals his glory in a wise and intricate and beautiful way that show the good, sovereign pleasure and provision of God for all of creation. And this is God's point to Job. Where were you when I did all these things, when I set all of this up? Who's created all this, Job, and sustains it and orders it and keeps it in harmony and balance? God is God, and Job, you are not God. And Job is justified, eventually, in God's eyes, in the eyes of his accusing friends. But what, where is the, the place for the made one questioning the maker? His faith was in God alone and not depending 
on God blessing him. But in that story, we see more of God revealing his glory in creation. And we hear more of this message, creation declares, God is sovereign, God is wise, God is involved in creation, God has power. Paul helps us even more in Romans 1 by telling us that what God has said, spoken in creation is enough that there's not a person on the face of the earth who has a valid excuse to say God doesn't exist. There's not, that, that, that there isn't a creator behind creation. There's enough of God speaking and revealing his glory and majesty that all of humanity knows there is a God. Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, God's, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. There's nobody who will stand before God one day and say, I never knew there was a creator. There's enough in creation just to know that. But here's the thing about God speaking through creation alone. It's not enough to really know him. Even in the book of Job, God has to show up and speak words to Job to explain all that he's done in creation to make himself known in those ways. Job nor we could necessarily draw those conclusions or connect those dots on our own. And we see this in Psalm 19 in verse 2. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. Look at verse 3. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Something's being communicated, but we don't understand it because there are no words. We, don't, we can't make sense of what the, the creation is, is saying. We know some things, but not enough to really know who God is. To know him in a saving way, especially. Creation speaks, but without words. And so we're left to draw our own conclusions. And we only get clarity when God speaks in our language. When God communicates in a way we can understand. The hope is the evidence of the creator behind creation will drive us to know this creator. Who is he? What is he like? How can I know him? But what we do across the ages of humanity and around the world today, we often have ended up worshiping creation and not the creator. It might be we worship ourselves, as clearly seen in Romans chapter 1, or we've created our own pagan gods and we tie it to creation. So we've created gods of the sun or gods of the seasons or gods of land or gods of crops. And we've created rituals that we think we've got to do to make these gods happy so that we can have the things that we need to live life. These pagan gods who humans have served through various rituals to get what we want are gods of science. We've taken the attributes of God that are inherent in creation, order, design, wisdom, structure, predictability, laws of natural order. We've used those qualities to explain away God. Creation just happened on its own. There's not a creator behind it. It's just natural science with randomness and chance over a long period of time. And voila, that's what we get, what we have today. Now, thankfully, not all science draws such fatalistic um, conclusions, but at one time, science said the universe had always existed, and we know that now science is pretty universally uh, uh, um, on the same page about this. The, the universe had a beginning. We know that for a fact. God's still at work, even in science, to make his existence known. But that's the weakness of God speaking only through creation. 
we're left to draw our own conclusions unless, unless God's chosen to take another step to make himself known. And thankfully he has in a much more specific and precise way where we can actually know who this creator God is and we can actually have a relationship with him. So see how that's described in verses 7 through 9. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Now, by the time this psalm was written by David around 900 to 1000 BC, a lot had happened in the life of God and his people. A lot of revelation and words had been spoken. But this didn't happen all at once. God progressively revealed himself to his people. But he began with Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel and then on to Noah and his family and then on to Abram and Sarah, eventually Abraham. And then Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Aaron and on to, to Joshua and the, the judges of Israel, Samson and and uh, Deborah and, and those different people, Gideon, eventually Samuel, the first prophet of God. God slowly revealing who he was and characteristics and qualities about him. It's, it's God at Mount Sinai delivering the Ten Commandments. It's God in the tabernacle speaking with Moses so closely that Moses glowed so that by the time of David, there was a long, long history of God speaking specifically through his law are these other synonyms for his revealed word. David had for sure the first five books of the Bible, while other historical books were being written and later compiled about how God has worked and revealed himself and made himself known. And we see synonyms for his revealed word. I, I tried to highlight it in the text. His instruction, his testimony, his precepts, his commands, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances of the Lord. And then each of the adjectives for God's word are also descriptions of God himself because the word he's breathed out has the same character and nature of the one who gave it. So the instruction of the Lord is perfect and trustworthy and right and radiant and pure and reliable and altogether righteous. This is who God is. This is what his word is. Like think of all the other sources of content we have available to us bombarding us constantly what else could be described a hundred percent of the time as perfect and trustworthy and right and radiant and pure and reliable and altogether righteous this is God's word because this is God and the results that we get to experience it tells us in these verses our life is renewed or some translations say, your souls are revived. The life in your soul that you currently have is made new, perked up, injected with a new force of energy because of God and his word. The inexperienced, or your Bible may say simple, the naive, those who don't know are made wise. You get knowledge, but you also get Ways to apply that knowledge to life so that you can more and more be described as someone who's wise and not someone who's simple or naive or inexperienced. You 
the heart, verse 8, the heart is made glad because of God and his word. Joy and gladness fill our hearts. The eyes are enlightened. The eyes light up like the world doesn't always seem dark because a lot of times it does seem dark. But we have this source of light in God and his word that lightens our eyes and helps us to see and not be bogged down all the time in the darkness. And then these qualities endure forever. Like there's never a day you will come to God and his word and all of this not be true or not be available and not be able to accomplish this in your souls. Like we may struggle to come. We do struggle to come. We struggle to receive this from our, our amazing God. But the source is constant and never failing. Like he's always waiting on us. And a few moments in the presence of God with his sufficient and powerful word can and has and will do all of these good things inside of us. Like where else can you go for this? Who else promises to do all of this? Who else has or can accomplish this in us? There is no other source in the entire universe with this kind of power. Who in this room needs this today as a new year starts? Who needs a revived soul? Who needs gladness in your hearts? Who needs light to open up your eyes and help you to see? Who needs wisdom to know how to live life? Every single one of us. And once we realize what's available from God through his word, then verse 10 doesn't seem like an overstatement. Where David says, they, all of these qualities, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. God and his word are more desirable than gold and more enjoyable than honey. Like we could spend a lot of time really thinking about that thinking about what David is saying about God and his word and also thinking about what we desire, what we love. More desirable than financial wealth or ability. I mean, we're in the age of the side hustle on top of the side hustle because everyone's hustling to get more because life is crazy expensive. We keep having kids. It costs a lot of money to take care of these little guys, Right? Gold was the most valuable metal in that culture. And then honey, the primary sweet or dessert in that culture, a picture of pleasure. So we're saying here, God and his word should have a higher value in our hearts so that we actually desire his word more than we desire financial wealth and ability. Like I've used this illustration for years, people who struggle to get into God's word. Like if I told you I'd pay you $1,000 for every verse of the Bible you read this year, would anyone struggle to get in God's word? Right. We wouldn't struggle. So if, if that motivation isn't there, does it say something about what we really value and what we really love and what we really long for? All those excuses, I'm too busy, um, I don't like to read, it's boring, I don't understand. All those excuses should be examined. Let's talk about busyness. Let's talk about how busyness can just kill you from the inside out. Let's talk about accommodations for those who aren't crazy about reading, the audio Bibles that are available, the visual Bibles. Let's help you grasp this boring. Let's help you grasp the treasure that is this word. Let's find some 
some good study tools so you can understand how this story fits together. But it's, but it's more than just trying to uh, solve every problem or answer every question or fix every issue that we have. There's a supernatural aspect to this where the Spirit of God has to awaken something in us because the Spirit of God lives in us so that we love and desire the Word of God more than we love money, more than we find pleasure in honey or the things that bring pleasure. What do you want? What do you desire? What David is saying about God and his word is true and and God is always at work in our lives for us to experience more and more of him and his truth and reality and his presence and his power. And wherever your desire is now for his word, he wants to grow it to the point where you would actually say, this is more valuable to me than even money or wealth. And I find more pleasure in this than all the other things that could give me pleasure. So maybe it's honey. So food, certainly we find pleasure in food. A lot of us found a lot of pleasure in food over the last four weeks, six weeks, whatever, because it's part of our holiday celebrations. So if you find food and drink more pleasurable to your heart and soul than God's word, God is at work to change that so that you would say his word is better than even food, like Jesus would do. So... So, so anything you see Jesus experiencing outside of his redemptive work, that, that was the Spirit of God at work in Jesus of Nazareth to, to show us what the kingdom of God is like. And so there are things that Jesus experienced that Jesus has worked in us for, our to, for us to experience. So, so when Jesus would say things like, um, I have uh, food and, and bread that you don't know about, he's, he's talking about this this reliance and this experience with God and his word and the commands of God, the spirit of God, that's even more satisfying and sustaining for us than food itself. If you find other forms of entertainment more pleasurable than God and his word, God is at work to help us see and know and experience the fullness of him and his word so that we could say with a psalmist, this is better. This is more enjoyable. This is giving more pleasure. This is sweeter, more desirable. Like you could take that and just run with it. Because a lot of the times we give into sinful temptations because in the moment it's more pleasurable and desire, desirable than obeying God in his word. Every single sinful temptation we face, we have that choice. God says this is sin and not okay. But for me to say yes to God and his commands means I have to say no to the pleasures of this sin. Do I trust him? Do I believe in him? Is he, do, I, do I think he's really right? What's more pleasurable and what's more enjoyable? God's always at work to get us to this place where his word is sweeter than honey and more desirable than wealth. It's not an optional part of my life. We see it as essential. And his word revives my soul. It makes my heart glad. It brings light into my eyes. It gives me wisdom more than anything else I could watch, listen to, or read. Like, do we really believe this? God has spoken this about his word and himself. Do we really believe this? This is not just a historical fact that you're saying, yes, I believe that's true. This is a supernatural revelation that you are agreeing with and asking and expecting God to make true in you. 
This is miraculous outside of the natural order. This is God who's outside of creation stepping into creation to do something in our hearts. That's the definition of miraculous, supernatural. Creation operates according to the laws of nature, physics, things that are orderly and predictable, which is why it's so easy for us as humans to not see the divine in creation. It looks like it works on its own. We don't really need a God to start this. But God's speaking specific words of life that transform us, our hearts and souls, as we believe and as we are responsive to the Spirit of God, that's miraculous and life-giving. Guys, this is how you and I were born again and made alive in Christ. You weren't born a Christian. At some point in your life, and for some people it's really a radical thing, and for others it's more gradual, but at some point you go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. You go from being part of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You go from being a rebel to a worshiper. You go from being an enemy of God, Romans 5.10, to being adopted son and daughter of our Father in heaven. At some point that has to happen, and it happens in response to the gospel being proclaimed. You believing the good news of Jesus Romans 10, 14 through 15, how then can they call on him who uh, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We saw this in 1 Peter uh, last year. Because you, Christian, have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God, which is, verse 25, This word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. We're miraculously born again, resurrected in Christ Jesus when the gospel is proclaimed and by his grace we hear it and say, yes, I am hopelessly sinful, but you are hopelessly loving and sufficient to do everything necessary to save my soul, to, to, to redeem me and make me a new creation. And Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm following you. You are my king. You are my savior. You are the one who's done everything through your life, death, and resurrection to make me a new person. Through the word of God, this gospel has transformed us, resurrected us spiritually. Our salvation is a miracle accomplished by God's word through God's gospel made known to us. And it could be like some of us are struggling to experience God through his word because this miracle of salvation has yet to happen. You see this realization of the sinfulness and desire for salvation through the rest of Psalm 19, verse 11. In addition, David's saying, your servant is warned by these precepts and and commands and, and ordinances of God. And in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David was aware of his need to be warned by God's word. David was aware of his willful sins, where he says there um, in verse uh, 13, keep your servant from willful sins. But he also realized that he had hidden faults and unintentional sins in verse 12. We're so sinful, we don't even know all the ways we're sinful. 
We're committing sins we're not even fully aware of because there are good, holy, righteous things we don't do. That can be sin. And there are hidden, unintentional sins that we're committing that we, we can't even see. And David's praying for even for that, for that to be cleansed. We're not pretty good people who have a few issues. We're thoroughly and through and through sinful people in desperate need of forgiveness and cleansing and healing by the gospel. So that we can get to this place, once God's work is done its work in us, we can get to this place where we can say, let the words and the things I think about in my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Wouldn't that be amazing? If, if we ended a day and, and we could say, everything that I spoke and every meditation of my heart was acceptable to God. I've never had a day like that. There's no way. Now, make, a, make one clarification there. So, so meditation of your heart is not just the random weird stuff that pops in your head. Meditation is something that dwells and you, and you, you fixate on, you stay with. It's like something you're thinking on and meditating on and coming back to over and over again. Okay, sometimes we, we're overly condemning ourselves because we think all the rando things that pop in our head we should be convicted of or, or condemned for. We, we can't control all the crazy stuff that pops in our head, just like you can't control what you dream. All right, you ever wake up in the morning, you're like, what was that? I have no idea where that came from. Hope I never go back to that place again. Right, that just happens. Same thing with thoughts in your head. C.S. Lewis talked about this, like birds flying over your head. You, you can't choose which blurs, birds fly over your head, but you choose the ones that you build a nest for. You choose the ones that you allow to land in your heart. So meditations of the heart, things that stay with us, words of our mouth, obviously more clear there. But God's at work to get us to that place constantly. That we can live in this place where these things are acceptable in his sight. And when we mess up, which happens every single day, we run back to him. And we pray this prayer again. God, these unintentional sins, these hidden faults, cleanse me. These willful sins, forgive me. Help me to be blameless again in your eyes. And this is the work of the word. This is the work of the spirit shaping his people. We are, we are reformed and always being reformed. We are made new and always being made new. This is the process of sanctification, the process of being a disciple of Christ. This is the ongoing supernatural miraculous work of God, his word, and his spirit in his people. Yes, at salvation, but guys, every single time we sit with God in his word, we're asking and expecting for this supernatural, miraculous work to happen. Time in the word is not academic. Our minds are engaged, yes, but it shouldn't feel like a textbook. This is supernatural with the very person of God in the presence of God for the spirit of God to do things inside of us that we can't explain. I don't know how these affections for good began to grow in me. I don't know how this hatred for sin began to grow in me. I don't know how this love for my enemy began to grow in me. But the spirit of God, the word of God is just making it happen. And I'm not here today where I was then and you won't be where you are in five years where you are today. He's going to keep growing and shaping and fashioning us in miraculous ways because there's no other explanation apart from the supernatural work of God's word and the spirit of God in his people. This book 
is alive. It's not just another book. It's forever God's word connected to him. And we sit and read and study and meditate and memorize and think on these things. This is supernatural, miraculous work outside of the normal laws of nature. We're asking God to accomplish in his people. Like, how else will our souls be revived? Our hearts made glad. Our eyes enlightened. And wisdom given to simple minds. We need this supernatural work and engagement with God and his word to happen. The Bible, God's word, is the only source of this work God's provided to accomplish this in his people and in this world. That's it. How do you know God? Through his word. Creation, some, but you don't really know God unless you have his word. There's nowhere else to go for this to happen, which is why we're so passionate and praying for the work of the V's, the V family, and their work among the W people group. That's why they're working so hard in their language and culture studies, so they can go to the W people one day and tell them about Jesus in their own language, so that members of the W people can hear the gospel, believe in Jesus, and come alive and become our brothers and sisters and part of the family of God. And so that they can leave with them a translated Bible so that church that God's going to create there one day can be left in their hands so that they can now proclaim this to their people. And their people can wake up in the morning, probably have tea. I don't know if they drink coffee. Maybe coffee. I'm not sure. But they can wake up in the morning and have time in God's word to be transformed by the word of God and the spirit of God. They can have their own copy in their own language. That's why Mr. S., continues to work so hard on his language skills to not only be able to speak to his people group, but so he can preach and teach the Bible to them in their own language. And he's very close to preaching an entire message in the, in the heart language of that people. He almost did it a few weeks ago. And so pray for him. Pray for them. Why are there those who go and do this and give their lives to this very, very hard, monotonous work of language study for months and months and years and years? Why? Because God's given them a supernatural desire for unreached to be reached. For those who don't have this kind of access to have it. So they too will be a part of those gathered around the, the throne of the Lamb one day, giving glory to God, singing praises to the Lamb who was slain. Now for us who are senders, we wake up in the mornings and we open our phones. So I checked this morning, seven Bible apps on my phone, not including devotional or memorization apps. One app, Street Lights, sets the Bible to really cool music. If you don't have that one, it's, it's free. All in English, all the translations I want. Not to mention the print copies I have, the copies on my laptop, the copies on my iPad, online for free. And some days, it is an incredible struggle to prioritize that time, to, to value it more than I value um, gold, the abundance of gold. Because time is money. I got things that I got to get done. So I need to get these things done before I'll, I'll, get, it, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Or more than I value or, or, or take pleasure in honey, things that are pleasurable. It's many times uh, more enjoyable to just jump into work, do tasks. Or it's more enjoyable to open my New York Times game app and play games, drink coffee, especially when someone's shared new games with you. Or it's more enjoyable to scroll Twitter or TikTok. And as much as those are enjoyable, or they make me laugh, they make me cry, or they make me amazed, I have to say that over time, 
I don't know that my soul's being revived through Twitter and TikTok. This is this morning. I opened it up, and I'm watching Chris Farley as Matt Foley again talking about living in a van down by the river. And I'm like, why am I watching this again? I've seen it like a thousand times. It's still funny, but do I need to watch it again? And sometimes we come across threads. We come across videos that line up with God and his word and his promises. And that's awesome. Watch The Chosen. All right? It will refresh your soul and grow your affection for God. It's not the word of God, but it's a great visualization of the word of God that so far is sticking to the word of God. We'll see. But the question for a lot of us is, how do we turn all of that off that doesn't really matter to help us to plug in to what is eternal and essential? No guilt trips intended here. It's really easy to do that with Christians when we talk about Bible habits or prayer. Uh, Guilt trips are not life-changing. Momentarily, they feel great, but they quickly fade. What we need is for the word to do this work. So what does your engagement with God and his word need to look like for you? I would invite you this morning to respond by asking the spirit of God here, what does this need to look like in this season of life that you're in? And and, and continue that conversation. If if you're struggling with salvation, am I really a, a, a new creation in Christ? Let's talk before you leave. Let's go grab lunch. Um, but, but continue that conversation with the Spirit of God, and then as you gather this week with mission communities and DNA groups, discuss that. Maybe over the course of this month, y'all have great conversations about what does engagement with God and His Word look like in our, our season of life that we're in as a family, or my season as, a, as an individual in my family, or, or wherever you're at. And then have that encouragement and that accountability that those groups can allow us to have. But I want to close just praying Psalm 19 over us that, the, the, that God would come right now in the Spirit of God with the Word of God and do this miraculous work in our hearts so that we see and we feel and we believe about God's Word, what God has said is true, and it continues to transform us. So, Father, thank you that the instruction of the Lord is perfect. It renews our our life. And your testimony is trustworthy, Lord. It makes the inexperienced wise. And, Lord, your precepts, they are right. And they make our hearts glad. And your commands, Lord, they're radiant and they make our eyes light up. And the fear of you, Lord, the reverential awe is pure and it endures forever. And the ordinances, Father, your Lord, uh, uh, your ordinances, Lord, are reliable and altogether righteous. And so, Spirit of God, in our hearts right now, Make all of these things more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Warn us as your servants, Father. Help us to keep them so that we experience your abundant reward. Father, do these things for your glory, for the good of your people, we pray. Amen.